Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. Today is a Friday night emergency podcast in the wake of the Donovan Mitchell getting traded to Cleveland News. We are joined live. Screw the intro. Screw the follow me on Twitter. We're skipping all of that today. We are joined live by our senior director of basketball content, Austin Vernon. AV, I would ask you how you're doing, but we've been speaking quite a bit recently so we could skip the formalities. Um, I'm doing well. I will just say I love the urgency, getting right into it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get down to business like the Cleveland Cavaliers just did. Okay, so... And guys, if you can hear the crickets in the background, uh, that's Austin because he's outside. So (laughs) this is not crickets because it's a boring conversation. It's crickets because we're literally in the woods right now. That is not a sound effect. And as long as we can record emergency pod sessions when I'm by my pool with Serena on in the background, uh, I'm in for everyone. That's what it takes to get AV on the pod. And that's what we're doing here (laughs) on The Advantage. Okay. I want to start with a little story about how I found out about how this trade went down. Yesterday, I received a text from Austin that says, Nick's question mark, LOL. To which I responded, what are you talking about? To which I then went to Google News and I typed in New York Knicks and I went, clicked the news and sorted by recent updates. And I see the headline, Cam Reddish asks to be traded, Lakers lurking in the distance as a potential suitor. So I respond to Austin text, Cam Reddish asking out of New York, that's hysterical. Austin does not respond. In a matter of two minutes later, I see the Shams bomb. I see the Shams tweet come in that Donovan Mitchell has been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for a package built around marketing, Sexton, Akbaji, and some picks. And I instantly go back to my text exchange with AV, and I'm slamming, ha, 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 Knicks, LOL, oh, my God, never mind. I see the story. We have to do an emergency pod tomorrow. So, A.V., where does this story start for you? Is it starts with Donovan Mitchell? Does it start with the Knicks? Does it start with the Jazz? Does it start with Cleveland? Where are we picking this massive trade-up? You would think, based on my text, that it starts with, with the Knicks. It, that's just because I would prefer to hate on the Knicks than Donovan Mitchell. This starts with Donovan Mitchell, who is a great player and is from New York and was told that he's going to go play in New York where... You know, if you're the star of the Garden of the Knicks, not the Nets, the Knicks, that's like a huge deal. That's like a a once-in-a-lifetime style deal. And now, what is he? He's going to be, at the end of his contract, eight years into the NBA, and he will have played for Utah and Cleveland, which are bottom three to five to one destinations in the NBA. That's, That's tough. So I think it starts with Donovan Mitchell. And I know that the story about him celebrating on the golf course when he heard the news, and I I honestly believe that he was excited to hear that Jared Allen and Derek uh, Darius Garland and Kevin Love and Karis LeVert were not traded for him, so we'll have a good and team. Mobley. And Mobley. Of course, and Mobley. And it's crazy to think that, like... Uh, that, that there are rumors that RJ were, was in the trade deal and it was turned down. And Mobley, you got to think, what wouldn't even be considered with how valuable he is. So <clears throat> I believe that he's excited for the on-the-court situation, but um, there's it's a once-in-a-lifetime situation to be able to play for the Knicks in the Garden and be the star there. There's no way he is overall preferred that situation. There's no way. We had Donovan Mitchell this summer 
throwing out the first pitch at the Yankees game, throwing out the first pitch at the Mets game, going doing the whole Subway Series tour. Donovan was in, out, and about in New York City, becoming one with the people. ESPN released an article like a few days before the trade earlier this week where they predicted Donovan Mitchell's destination at the start of the season. Out of 14 people who answered, 13 said the, the Knicks, and one said, I still think he's on the Jazz. The betting favorite showed that the Knicks were heavy favorites to get him, and this was only a matter of time before the Knicks and the Jazz reached an agreement on what the picks package was, whether RJ was involved, whether Quinton Grimes or Quickly. It all seemed like it was just posturing until Cleveland comes over the top and takes Donovan. Are, are, you, are you buying the, the happiness? you think he would I, I rather mean, go to New York you, and be in the spotlight, or you think he'd rather the right basketball situation for himself? Because this the, is clearly the, a better basketball fit. The, yes, and, that's, and still, there's no way that he wouldn't rather – go to New York, where he's from, where if you're the star there and you're good, it's like another world experience. That's It's it's great that he's has a good situation in Cleveland. I'm happy for him that he's, you know, going to be on a, a top five to six team now in the East instead of a top ten team to, to eight, you know, maybe higher team on the East if he went to the Knicks, depending on who they gave up. But, I mean, when you're talking about all the headlines, will he go to New York, part of that is the media in New York City being such a central media market and all that. But I, I would have loved to hear, if you have that up in front of you, I, I doubt it from so long ago, what they had the Cavs odds back then. Because I didn't hear a peep about him going to Cleveland and any narrative at all tied to that. Yeah, I certainly did not. Uh I was hearing Toronto, I was hearing Miami, I was getting ready to do a podcast about Donovan Mitchell saying, where do you think is the best possible fit? What timeline do you think he gets traded? Cleveland was not even in my notes. Like, you, I thought they were bought into the Karis Levert one more year experience. Let's see what they got. Let's keep building. I thought they were going to re-sign Sexton for a very team-friendly deal. I thought the, the, you know, the Cavs were very much set up to run it back with a similar core, and instead they make a huge huge splash should we talk about this from the cleveland basketball perspective i mean the, the cleveland basketball perspective is interesting because when they talked about who the other trades were going to be for they always had sort of substantial pieces in there even if you were just talking about quentin grimes from the knicks that was usually in the same breath as they're so excited about how good he looks in this situation they give up sexton who honestly who we like his game is not a good fit if you're going in the darius garland direction who knows how the fit with Donovan Mitchell is in the background, but I know that Sexton doesn't need to be there with the three of them. But I do know they had to keep Jared Allen, Mobley, and Kevin Love for the leadership um, and, and what, what they'll be able to do. They keep Karis LeVert, who you talk about, who is, is going to be much more comfortable, in my mind, in a six-man role where Six he can role. come in, play mm -hmm. against the other team's bench, star with the ball in his hands, you know, and then get, not be counted on in a way that adds pressure Um when I, I think he's come off a few injuries. I don't know what they are specifically. Um, but I, I really like the, the team situation. I, I like Markinen too. I, I like all these highlights of him, you know, being the star on Finland as if he's like the only six-footer in a fifth-grade basketball game. But I actually think he could be good as a focal point in Utah. So I, I think this is kind of a win-win a in terms of the players involved. Right now, Cleveland has Jetty Osman and... Isaac Okoro, who could be their potential starting three next to Sexton, 
They actually kind of have a big four in Cleveland. No, I mean, next to Garland. I'm sorry, I said Sexton. Next mm-hmm. to Garland, <laughs> Mitchell, and then Mobley and Allen in the front court. So who's starting at the three? Yeah, that's I would a, lean Okoro because the defense. 100%, exactly. We're on the same but page. But he's small. Then, then you have a really, really small one, two, three. You, he's you definitely do, undersized to guard wings. You you do, but what you need normally when you have big bigs that are, are blocking, protect the rim bigs, is you need quick guards who are able to funnel them to the right areas. And and you also need length to be able to contest over those screens. So if Donovan mm. Mitchell is able to use his length, which people have been saying he could be a good defender because of his crazy wingspan, and if Okoro yeah, like has 6'10 a... 6'10 on a 6'4 guy. It's crazy. Significant. Really. And you can tell when he dunks sometimes, and you're like, oh, he didn't even get up that high for that one. How did he do? But um, so if they can do that, if they can use their lateral quickness and their length, Darius Garland excluded, but Okoro potentially having more length than we're giving him credit for, then they can be a good defensive team again. Uh, I mean, can Donovan Mitchell score the same way in the playoffs that he has been? I mean, he, what we've seen from him so far in the playoffs, I have been so impressed with. Not that I'm a Donovan Mitchell hater, but I think he's outkicked his coverage in the playoffs so far. I completely agree. I've always been wildly, but he's, that means he steps up on the big, big stage. That means he maybe would have been a great guy for New York to get because New York is constantly that big stage. But again, that means he goes to Cleveland where they desperately needed another ball handler, shot creator, and score first player. So that's exactly what they got. Let's go back to that Karis Levert discussion. Yeah. Now, I've been anti Karis Levert since he was a Brooklyn Net and I was a Nets fan. And uh, I just always knew him as a ball-stopping, high-volume, low-efficiency scorer who then, again, has length, has quickness, has some touch, has some finesse, has a bunch of tools that look fantastic for another you know, scout or GM to come in and say, we can fix that guy, we can mold him into our kind of guy. It seemingly never happens. He went to Indiana, didn't work out. He went to uh, Cleveland last year really did not work out in his short stint in Cleveland. He's going to be in Cleveland again this season on a coming contract year. Is the new role going to unlock Karras? Can we look to bet him in potentially a six-man-of-the-year role, or should we just kind of wait and see and not touch this bet? I mean, when you think about a six-man-of-the-year role, you're normally looking for a scorer off the bench for a decent or good team. Um you're you're looking for your your Lou Williamses, your Jamal Crawfords. Um, I I think he fits that role in terms of could he win the Sixth Man of the Year. I think more importantly, this is a good restart for his career, where there were kind of high expectations for him, probably higher than they should have been, and then combined with the injuries and not playing great, it's hard to kind of overcome that and then be like, okay, I'm going to restart as a less good player that plays better in my role. This way, the pressure and the attention is off him. Like I said, he plays against the other team's twos, which is underrated. It's easier playing against less good players when it's the other team's bench during a long 82-game regular season. And he gets to do what he does, which is get the ball in his hands. He's not competing with for start with starters and their starter touches. And he probably doesn't have to play the same level of defense um, that he would be expected to when he has to guard the other team starting two or three, which are, you know, in the NBA. Fucking amazing. His odds right now are 33-1 to 1 in line with Bobby Portis of the Bucks, Emmanuel Quickly of the Knicks. Uh, Alex Caruso's right behind him, 36-1. to 1. DeAnthony Melton, 40-1. to 1. Uh, 
So he's kind of in that ballpark of range. He's definitely my favorite of those names that I just listed. Well, so who's I think at the top? Small... Give us who's at the top to see if they're clear favorites. Oh, gotta... it's, it's it's Pool and Hero who are the clear lead dogs. And now that Hero has not been traded in that Donovan Mitchell trade, so he's going to stay in a bench role. I still think if Hero gets traded at any point, he then becomes a starter because if someone is going to go trade their star player to go get Hero, they're going to give him, you know, he's still 22, a chance to be a guy. Uh, so Jordan Poole, I think, is the clear lead candidate in Tyler Hero. And then we have guys like Bones Highland and Malcolm Brogdon, Cameron Johnson, Anthony Simons, who I think will start, Norman Powell of the Clippers. Uh, so if it's not Poole or Hero... Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway, is that everyone else you named, it's either a toss-up or I prefer Karras. Whereas, yeah, Poole and Hero are in a tier of their own where the numbers they can put up and the, the minutes that they're guaranteed, starters plus minutes, because they're not only starter quality and scorers, but they're young, so you want to run them during the regular season. So I, I think that those are definitely the two clear front runners, and then I, I would make an argument of Karis over almost anyone, if not everyone you named. I agree, and I also think this is a situation where you jump in and you take the bet now, because they're, the way that that line is priced indicates that maybe... Karras could be a starter for the Cavs in that three role. I ultimately think that's not going to work out too well. I think he's much better suited in a six-man role. And I think once he's confirmed into that six-man role, we see his odds drop to kind of closer to where like a guy like Cameron Johnson's is, which is third, uh, 21 to 1. So take the 33 to 1 now while you can. Uh, last Cleveland question for you, Austin, is their win total. It went from 41 and a half, and it was being sharped towards the under. It opened at 42 and a half. It was bet down to 41 and a half. And then now with the Donovan Mitchell trade, it has jumped to 46 and a half. So a five-game jump for the win total, bringing in Donovan Mitchell. I'm not going to ask you if that's like a fair reflection of his value because I know you're not like a futures gambler like I am. However, I will say, how do you just feel about the 46 and a half for Cleveland, do you see them as a 47 and 35 team? Do you see them as a potential 50 win team? So, I mean, it's funny you ask it like that because literally the first thing that I was going to respond with is I'm so curious to hear you tell me what stars who are traded do to, to win lines in the past in terms of like, is five good? Is 10 good? Is, has it ever been 15? That's so insane. But more importantly, I, I think that we have to talk about how good the East is and that there are teams in the East that are at the level of uh, the Nets, Milwaukee, and potentially Boston, who could mail it in for parts of the season. Um, but I think you saw what Boston did last year in terms of gunning for home court advantage versus what Milwaukee did, and now everyone's going to recognize the value of home court advantage. We're not in the bubble years anymore. Like, get me to my home court where, you know, in Boston, the showers literally don't work, and they blast you with AC, and it smells like shit so it's I mean it's a big difference you want it in your home court you know what the fans do I won't talk about the Boston fans again but all these places it's it's a big deal so uh, I think the win totals are tough because I certainly would have them above the 41 that they used to be at because that's a sub 500 team but when awesome. asked, let me throw it to you in, let me throw it to you in a different direction because maybe okay. there's a way to play this from a gambling angle 
How do you think this team starts the season? Would you be concerned about them starting slow, integrating a new piece? Or are you thinking, I'm going to project them to be a quick start because of the amount of hype, because of the amount of scoring, because the, the, everyone's coming into the season healthy, and this should be a team right out the jump? Normally, when you add a key player, similar to the way I feel with Hawks with DeJounte Murray, when you add a new high-usage ball-dominant player early in the season, you tend to struggle a bit. I don't know if I project that, for this Cavaliers team because they have four players who are actually amazing. I so, mean, so I was going to say I go you, both have ways. To, you have to look at the, the schedule to start the season if you want to have that discussion. But in terms of how well does he fit and how quickly does he acclimate quickly because often the only drawback of a star acclimating is playing with other ball dominant stars and how do they defer to each other who alphas and in this situation you're you're playing with don't get me wrong you're playing with stars Jared Allen and Mobley is a potential star and Darius Garland was a real all-star last year but you're playing to all people who do things really well that aren't always give me the ball at the end of the game, let me score and get my volume shots up. So I think that he'll be able to acclimate quickly because the shots are available, the plays they're going to run for them available. Darius Garland can be a pass-first point guard. They've needed him to, to shoot and score so much, and he's obviously capable, and you want that out of your point guard, especially if you're trying to make a run and make the playoffs and, and do things in the playoffs, even if you have a, a good wing scorer. Um, so I think he'll acclimate quickly. Yeah, for that reason, I actually lean towards the over. And you have, you also said one more thing that makes me really lean towards the over. You said Evan Mobley is a potential star. Now, I agree with you that the public market thinks he's a potential star. Jared Allen, all-star last year. Darius Gar Garland, all-star last year. Donovan Mitchell, all-star last year. I'm going to come in right now and say I think Evan Mobley is the best one of all four of them. So we say potential star. I think we can get, if we take the over on the win total, we can get ahead of the Evan Mobley, how great he is market. Hi, Bronny. And, and we can say, let's bet the over on the Cavs because they actually have four potential all-stars this year. I mean, they're obviously not going to have four all-stars on the actual team, but they have four all-star caliber players, and the, the public has not caught up to actually how good how defensively versatile, how much of a key cog in this team Evan Mobley is going to be. So I lean over for that. It sucks because I already took the under on the 41.5 because of, I saw the sharp angles and I thought the rest of the East was rising while the Cavs were staying the same. And so now I kind of feel like I'm just going to sell off that bet and then not bet any futures. But if I, you know, gun to my head had to place a bet on the Cavaliers, I would go... Over. Um, let's talk about the Knicks because, again, that's where our conversation started on this topic. And because of how, you know, they're the major market in the country, in the NBA, what ESPN talks about, they're what most conversations are about. It's let's pat ourselves on the back for not only starting, but having a real substantive conversation about Cleveland instead of glossing over them just to get to how this affects the Knicks and what Stephen A. Smith said. So I think that this is a big miss for the Knicks. I know that the asking price is high in terms of draft capital, and the Knicks have maybe made that mistake before or maybe especially wary of making it now, but this is a big miss for them. So they, they lose out on a star player and they put themselves in a situation where the East is so good right now that you have no chance of winning for whatever it is, the foreseeable future of these teams' life cycles, which is probably at least three to four years. So your fans who were like gearing up to give you another chance, even though your ownership is terrible and you make terrible decisions 
and uh, you get aging <laughs> players, and you say, I'll, I'll leave them alone. But I'm, I am a New York person like you and don't love, they're not a fun team to root for, and I have not rooted for them, really, since Their jerseys are ugly, kid. too. Their jerseys are ugly. I heard there was a rumor they were going back to those 90s kind of classic blues. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think they're, they're going to do that until their team is decent. So now what do you do? What do you tell your fan base who was sure that you were getting a star that was hype about RJ coming up, Quentin Grimes? Now you tell them, great, I have more minutes for people so we can be like a play-in team and get excited about that? You do what the Knicks have done for decades, which is you sell the public on the next disgruntled star. So my first question for you was going to be, should the Knicks have made this trade? Clearly you think yes, regardless of how crazy the asking price would have would have been, whether it been one more unprotected pick than they were willing to do. You say yes, get Donovan in the building, bring Donovan around, keep him in the building for the next eight to ten years, give him another contract after this one, and eventually build a core because you already have one superstar. Now... My question to you is, who's the next disgruntled star that the Knicks can target? If I, could to- if I told you, A.V., that come February, OKC is tanking again and Shea uh, is like, I was dude, literally I am so start done there. with this. How many seasons can he be on a team where they're like, not only are we not going to make a run at the playoffs or the championship, but we're literally not trying to win our games and our games are meaningless. I mean, you can't have a whole career of that. It would kill your soul. He's a basketball player. That's like me. That's like that's like us recording the pod and then saying, "Yeah, we did well." I'm just not going to actually post it. I like that would be they devastating. I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah." They I'd be like, "Let's nothing. just talk then." Yeah. All right. So, I agree. I actually think what OKC is doing to Shea is one of the least talked about stories of a franchise just totally sandbagging an absolute star player. I don't care that you're, he's getting the max and he's getting paid so much. He would have gotten the max and gotten paid so much yep. regardless of where he was. Dude wants to compete, and, and he's being shut down in March. So if they get Shea for maybe a similar package or even a little less, you know, maybe for the package that they were willing to give up for Donovan, not for that reach package, now how do you feel as a Knicks fan? I would feel pretty ecstatic. Yeah, I, I would too. I, I mean, I, I know that Donovan was the story for a while and he's from here, but I think that there's more future upside probably with, with SGA, even though I, if I see one more playoff from Donovan Mitchell where he's still on that level, then I'm I'm just putting him yeah, in we're a done, we're category. done doubting, right? We're done, exactly. We're done talking about we're it. Putting him in, are we are putting him in the deep book and Tatum and, category and if that he's happens? In the, yeah, and that's exactly the category that he's like, in my mind, I'm, I'm a – I'm a heightist, and I'm saying to myself, oh, he's a little short. What is he doing? That you're going to do in the playoffs? Low efficiency, maybe. But no, he puts up numbers, scores when it counts. It has that big game look about him, even though he has that nice guy persona. I mean, I, him him and Jamal Murray going back and forth, he, he's had a, a bunch of series where I've been super impressed. But I think SGA is a great fit there. Who, do you, who else do you think is, is going to be disgruntled and on a team that's not good? Yeah, that's 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 the that's the next key question. Is like, who else could it be if it wasn't SGA? Like, right? Like, where else are we looking? Are we looking then at Bradley Beal with his no trade clause? Wow, that's that's where I'm going next too in my mind. It's so that's that's all all a matter of does Bradley want out of there? Um, because of it, his no trade clause, Austin, he could then say I'm demanding to go to the Knicks, and then the Knicks could end up yep. getting Beal for a substantially less package than it would have cost for a guy like Mitchell who had no leverage to force his way to New York. So if you I end up getting Beal for 
75 cents on the dollar of what it would have cost for Mitchell, again, I'm feeling pretty good as a Knicks fan. Beal's pretty I, awesome. If they got that, I would love that. I will also say that for Beal, he just signed that long contract. What's he going to say? I'm not going to play any of this, and I'm just going to sit out my NBA career. He has some leverage, and I think the Wizards know they're not winning with him, so they would probably try and handle that internally before they both went out to the market and said, okay, Knicks, it's time to make a trade. Let's let's do something that's at least reasonable. Um, but I think I think that's a good addition there too. I think a lot of people probably feel like the Knicks are going to try and get rid of Julius either way. And so that, that would almost help, help to see what does the team look like after you get rid of Julius to decide which star fits or who they go after. Because if they get rid of Julius in a sell-off-the-team sort of rebuild, the East is shockingly good right now, okay, that's actually not a crazy move. Then we don't go after a star. That's fine. And if they get rid of Julius for, like, a better package, and now you have, like, a star that fits with one of these people we talked about, great. I'm, I'm even more in than Mitchell. I got one more name for you. Sure. Shea doesn't work out. Beal's staying in Washington. Beal has always seemed very happy in Washington. Everyone's trying to trade Beal before Beal's actually trying to trade himself. Exactly. Um, what if the whole Portland thing, re- quick do rebuild, doesn't work out, and they have those two young guards. They just paid Simons. They just drafted that guy, seventh pick, who then got hurt in summer league. I'm spacing on his name. But uh, what if it's Dame? An aging Dame, again, 75 cents on the dollar for what Mitchell would have cost because Dame is six years older. If there's some world where Dame costs 75 cents on the dollar to get over there in a situation, I, I, I would love that. Again, that's the but Also locked into a long-term extensions. Right, but I again, I think he's similar to Beal where as soon as he goes to the team and say, hey, I've been the most team loyal, down for this city, down for the cause, let's make it work guy in the game. I want to make it, I want to get out of here because it hasn't, I've given you every chance in the world, let's do this privately and then go out again. I think that, again, so it's up to him. And if, and if he goes and says that, then they could make that happen. Both, these are all good options, but again, the East is good right now. So the Knicks have to decide, do I want to sell everyone off and, and kind of regroup, or do I want to go all in and get someone? And if they can get any of these people, then at least they have the option. Because right now it feels like they don't even have the option. If none of those stars are available, they can't go forward with the team they have paying them, telling people we're trying to win. They would have to And they're go. stuck in they're stuck in no man's land. You know, they just signed Brunson to a big deal. They just signed RJ Barrett to the big deal. They have Julius Randle locked into a big deal. So they can't quickly go down and they can't quickly go up. They can only quickly if they're Emmanuel. So yeah, I mean, part of the upside <laughs> of not getting Donovan Mitchell is they should be able to keep the RJ Barrett illusion alive. It, maybe he is actually good. I, I the jury is still out, but part of the reason that it's out is because of the volume and the plays that are being run for him right now. And if he was part of a good team, he might be compared to people side by side that made it him look worse. Let's quickly run through the Utah perspective of this, right? Utah clearly prioritizing unprotected future picks, both in the Mitchell and Gobert trade. Danny Ainge did that going back to his Celtics Nets trade back in the day. They are in a full-on rebuild. I expect Conley, Bogdanovich, Clarkson to eventually be sold off at some point. Is picks the best route for rebuilding if you are Utah? 
Would you have gone in and said, let me go get a KD for Gobert, let me keep Donovan? Or do you think this is the right move by Ainge, blow it up and just stack the picks and do what like an OKC is doing or what the process was in Philadelphia? This is clearly a full-on tank. Even if the French prospect, Wembayana, or whoever you say his name, I'll learn it by the time he's getting drafted, um, it is... Even if he wasn't in the draft prospect class this year, I would still say it's the right move and it's a great move. And even if Danny Ainge, you didn't tell me that Danny Ainge was going to get that quantity and quality of picks, I would still tell you it's the right move because you don't really want to be in this good year-after-year position where you really have no shot at a championship, but you kind of get your hopes up so your fans aren't even happy with how good your team actually is. You get some extra money for the playoffs and the exposure, and it matters, and you have some All-Stars, and they go to the All-Star game, and that matters, but it, it feels middling, and you give yourself a real chance when you go kind of all or nothing, especially with, I know we've talked about this offline, the quality of young players these days. What you can do, mm-hmm. um, the way the direction the game is going, the skill, the length of these young players, you can do so much with that many and that that high picks. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, I hate to give Danny Ames this much credit because I, I didn't like him as a player and I, he was always been a Celtic and I didn't like him, well, he was, I mean, as a son, as a player for a while too, but I didn't like him as the Celtics GM because he would fleece people also, but how does he keep getting away with this? It's it's, it's impressive. Danny Ainge calls me. I'm hanging up immediately. Right? If Danny Ainge is sitting at a blackjack table. I'm sitting right next to him. But if he's the dealer, I'm not sitting down at the table. So you got to avoid dealer Danny at all costs. He's clearly establishing himself in the high ranks of the GMs. With what and he's I will doing. say another, another reason that he was able to be so successful on top of his wheeling and dealing ability is because so many GMs build themselves a good NBA franchise that gets, you know, top four seeds, which is what they were for a while and has real quality players. And that's so impressive. And you probably feel such pride as a GM and to say, I did such a great job, but we literally have to blow it up is hard. And when you just get hired fresh off another team and these weren't your guys and you didn't build to get there, you can sit back objectively and say, nope, this isn't good enough. Let's go for broke. And I also think you make a really, really great point that I've not heard in the discourse of this discussion anywhere else is that the amount of talent coming into the league and the amount of how, like, flexible the talent is and how, like, uh, I don't know what the Versatile position is. what you're saying. Versatile, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Versatile. Yeah. I, was, I was, like, looking for yeah. the right... The word in coming in my head was diverse, and I'm like, that's just not the right <laughs> yeah, word here. <laughs> They're diverse talents. They could do so much. It comes in so many different forms. No versatile right so that's exactly the word i was looking for and because of the versatility that these players have you can build a team you can mold a different team in a in a capacity that your mind is going towards you can rebuild quickly because these guys are super talented so it's not as long and drawn out of a process and it might even be the best way to go because also of how uh valuable rookie contracts are if you get a few good guys on rookie contracts then you get the the vets who are established who are free agents. Like remember when KD joined the joined the Nets, or when you know players go to go to a destination like the Clippers because they had a great culture and they had some good young guys and they were locked into good deals. So if you get some good guys on some good deals, even what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing right now, now you can start bringing in other guys to really fill out a whole team. So I do think this is the right thing for the uh, Jazz to do. Jazz win total, Austin, was 32.5 when I bet the under. 
smashed the under, came on the podcast screaming to take the under, started tweeting about taking the under, started writing in the Discord channel to take the under, was all over the Jazz under at 32.5 because I knew this trade was going to happen eventually. Uh, it's now at 26.5. Yeah, so to me, I'm, I'm still a significant. Significantly I still under. See significant value in going on the under still. I, I love that you said that at 32 because you already knew that they were selling off. So it was already the move. And not only are we talking about, oh, do you lose five wins for Donovan Mitchell and 10 for Gobert? No, 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 no. If you are doing this and you're selling off your team, it means you're tanking for the best player. And if you look at the teams that are in those bottom four that give themselves a chance, they're not at 32 or 26 wins. They're at 20 to 14 wins. And you have to be in that range. That's where they'll be. I think the bottom four teams, the teams that have 14% in the lottery odds, you know, the, the way that they changed yep. the new rules with the play-in, the bottom four teams. Last year, the bottom four teams, the highest was 22 wins. So to get 26.5 is a four-game buffer on the Jazz team, where the best possible outcome of the Jazz season is having 14% chance in the draft. Is that Am I wrong in saying that? No, you are correct. The Jazz have no interest... What does Danny Ainge prefer, getting 14% for the first pick or getting the 10th or 9th seed or the 8th seed and being in the play-in tournament? At, when he goes to the rest of his organization and says, this is my plan, one of his prongs is this top pick. So you're, you are absolutely correct that getting a certain low number of wins is part of this. He's making it easy based on who he's trading for and away, um, but that's, that's 100% part of this. They're not, they're not going in this half-ass. Okay, and so let me give you my general rule of thumb for win totals. You do not want to bet an over on a win total and be rooting for that over to hit more than the organization itself. I think that's a fair rule, and I think we can, you know, easily, easily bet the under on the 26.5. I would, again, get in on that now while that number is still there. It is going to be sharped down to 23.5 by the time the season starts. Okay, last question before you, before we wrap up, Austin. I mentioned to you that the best possible outcome for um, this season for the Jazz was getting that 14%. Let's quickly go through the three teams that we mentioned and do best possible outcome, worst possible outcome, without considering catastrophic injuries, right? Worst possible outcome for the Cavaliers is Mitchell tears his ACL and so does Mobley and they, you know, they are out of the playoffs because they got so hurt. Yeah, okay, we're not going to consider that drastic of a scenario. Assuming that the players stay relatively healthy, what is the ceiling for the Cavaliers and what is the floor for the Cavaliers this season? So, I I, I mean, I think this is a great question because it it speaks to how quality the, the East is right now. I think that their ceiling, if they play the type of defense that we think that they could be capable of with their rim protectors, with their versatile Mobleys, with their length, um, and, and then if Donovan Mitchell is as good as we think, their ceiling is literally the conference finals or beyond. I, if they're healthy and playing well at the right time, this is a team that has all the pieces that you need to win. The only issue is, is that in terms of where do they rank in the East, I don't have them in the top team, in the top tier, which is the top, you know, four or five teams, Milwaukee, Boston, probably still Miami, Philly. And then if the Nets put it together, they're 100% in that tier too. So we just named five five teams that are probably still talent-wise better. So the answer is if they're healthy and playing well, the sky's the limit. 
the reality is it's hard in the East, and they'll have to be playing their best. What's their floor? Like Atlanta being better than them? Oof. I mean, there are some wild card teams in the East, but their floor I st- still think is, you know, whatever that 7-8, we're definitely making the, the playoffs. The, the Bulls. The, the Bulls is it's sort of their tier, you know? I mean, I, I know they outplayed the Bulls last year, but the Bulls were riddled with injuries and COVID. And if, if Lonzo is what we hope he can come back and, and contribute to the team offensively and defensively, and this weird injury isn't nagging, the Bulls are still a real team. So I, I, w- I would almost put them in that Bulls tier. It's, it's just it's tough. The East is good. And it's, it's mostly going to be, are they all healthy? I haven't done this on the pod yet, but I'm a huge Bulls backer this season. I will be talking about it soon. I am on all Bulls, Bulls overs for futures. I am on Billy Donovan, coach of the year type stuff. Bulls, Bulls, Bulls is a team. I really think that is the team I'm going to go over projections on. Cleveland is a very safe floor. I think what we're coming to the consensus of is it is a... Uh, high ceiling and a high floor. Like they could potentially be great and they're not going to be like catastrophically bad. They are going to come in around a five or six seed kind of at worst, maybe a seven at worst, but they should be, have a serious edge in the play in tournament if they are healthy and good to go. Um, Completely agree. And just jumping in quickly, there are a couple other teams on the East here that have aging stars who may either through injury or rest mail it in a little. So they could even move up there. It's just it's exactly. telling that a team that's this uh, th- this well-rounded, this good, isn't at the top of, of the conference because of how good the East is right now. Right. It's inevitable that one of these teams from the top is going to have a major injury and is going right. to fall off. It happens every year. However, when you forecast and you say, let's aim like the Cavs aren't going to get hurt, you can't factor in the Bucks do get hurt or the Celtics do get hurt. So it's kind of a convoluted discussion, but I completely agree. In the real life scenario, hopefully the Cavs stay healthy. Hopefully everyone stays healthy. But in real life, that's not possible. One of these teams is going to go down a bit, and that is going to open opportunity for a team like the Cavs, if they are healthy, to slide up. Austin, what about the Knicks? What is the best possible outcome for the Knicks season this year? So the best possible outcome is one of the two extremes we talked about. The worst possible outcome is their current situation. So the two extremes we talked about are either they recognize that they failed on this, that the East is really good right now, and try and sell off Julius and nurture Quentin and the young guys, see what they can get for RJ while his stock is still high, or play around him in a way that you know raises his value and makes him look good so that they can sell everything off and start over, as sad as that would be for fans because they've done that to no avail multiple times. But... I think the more realistic thing that they try to do, or at least sell as their narrative to the fans that they are trying to do, is what you talked about. You sit on the the the, the disgruntled star from another, you know, maybe not top five team in their conference or in your own conference, and you at least tell your fans, we got a shot at him, and then hopefully you do. Yeah, I think that's the, I agree. Best possible outcome for the Knicks is actually acquiring said star at a deadline this season or, you know, in January as as the, the trade deadline's approaching. Uh, other than that, it's let's try and sell New York fan base. This is going to remain a competitive team. We're going to stick with the plan. If they could get into the playoffs and or if they could make a, the play-in and then happen to win and get another first-round series like they did against the Hawks two years ago, 
New York would love it. Like that would be probably a win for the Knicks given the context of their team. It's obviously not ideal for what the New York Knicks are building or have wanted. They handed over the keys to CAA guys that like the age, the agents, right. Leon Rose, worldwide West. These guys have histories having player relations with a lot of people. I don't think when the Knicks organization handed the keys to the most powerful sports agency in the world, they thought that relationship was going to net them Jalen Brunson. So they were probably hoping for some bigger fish. They were really hoping for Donovan Mitchell. We've been sold this Donovan Mitchell thing for a few years. Austin, I probably now owe you five or ten bucks because I probably <laughs> yeah. said, I guarantee it, yeah. a, a, a few years ago. I'm sure that was one of my you know, crazy takes of what's coming in the future of the NBA like I love to do. But the self-awareness um, yeah, more than makes up for it. Thank you. Thank you. I think Nick's ceiling is – is making the playoffs or requiring a star. I think Cavs ceiling is maybe a conference finals appearance. Uh, and I think Jazz ceiling is getting 14% and getting Victor Wenbamiana. Um, I think floors for those teams, Cavs high floor. Uh, Knicks is the floor would just be having the same discussion next year where they have a pretty similar team and we haven't really done anything. That's kind of the worst outcome for the Knicks. And the worst outcome from the Jazz would just be getting a pick five or beyond. Uh, and being in that no man's land when they want to rebuild. Yeah, agreed I'm, on all fronts. I'm, I'm with you on all of those. I, I would say that it's it's a good lesson for the Knicks and other teams that you know sometimes you give up too much in a trade and you say, oh, we could have just stayed out of it and been neutral. And it's like, no, this is a huge win for Utah and Cleveland, and the Knicks missed out by not being part of a nice win-win trade that was going to be a win-win trade for two teams that were in the similar situations they needed. And the only silver lining here for the Knicks is is that it doesn't even take a rumor for them to be able to say, we're getting this star, that star, we're getting Durant again, and then they'll, you know, the media will You sell big dreams when you're in New York City, for exactly. sure. Concrete jungle of dreams. Um, Austin, before I let you out of here, I just want to quickly review the bets that we said. Karis Levert, 33-1 to 1 for six man of the year. Jazz smashed the under even at 26 and a half. And Cleveland Cavaliers, we lean over the 46 and a half. It's probably not going to be a play of mine. But again, not concerned about a slow start or integrating a high-scoring, high-volume player. AV, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for coming out of the woods and out of hiding and joining me and listening to my screaming instead of these crickets. I will shut up so you can get back to the crickets. It's <laughs>